<laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just like pouring concrete. If the driver's not listening, give him a whistle. <laughs> we are going to continue this morning on our four words, growing in the word. And uh, Greg asked me if I would speak on why do I read the Bible. You're going to find out. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your word. We're grateful for every heart that's in this, in this building. And know that you, through your spirit and through your word, have a wrench that will fit any nut that could make it through that door this morning. So we're grateful. We ask you to feed us, grow us, and make us into the people you want us to be this day in Jesus' name. Amen. So there are many notable figures who have said things about the Bible. Abraham Lincoln said, I believe the Bible is the best gift God has ever given to man. All the good from the Savior is communicated to us through this book. Robert E. Lee, and he went through some tough times, didn't he? He wrote, In all my perplexities and distresses, the Bible has never failed to give me light and strength. Charles Dickens wrote, the New Testament is the very best book that ever was or ever will be known in the world. Now there are myriads of others who have commented on this book. People who've had a, a huge impact on humanity. There have always been scoffers of this book. It seems that they're more prevalent today, but I don't think they are with the media and the speed, the way uh, information gets passed on. Paul wrote about these people in 2 Timothy. It says, ever learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They look at the Bible from a purely historic point of view, considering it to be ancient fables that are unprovable and irrelevant. And it's interesting to me that historically we keep changing the facts about time, about science, to fit new revelations from time to time. But the Bible has never been modified to fit new information. Rather, new information or revelation validates what the Bible already said. There's a passage in Job, I'm getting on a rabbit trail here, but talking about the world being round. It took Columbus before the rest of us figured that out. There's a difference between reading the Bible and experiencing the Bible. And I hope that that's one of the things that we can get uh, covered today. Why are these 39 Old Testament and 27 New Testament books selected above all the other spiritual writings to be called God's Word? 
Now, there are hints in the New Testament that while the apostles were still living under their supervision, a collection of their writings was being assembled for the churches. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. Paul intended that his letters should be read in the churches. The Colossians, he writes, And when this epistle is read by you, cause that it be read also among the church at Laodicea. And you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. Peter wrote in 2 Peter that you may have these things, these writings, always in remembrance. Now what about the Old Testament? How were these books chosen to be Holy Scripture above all the other writings? Well, there's a thing called canonization. And I had to look it up. The word canon means a cane or a measuring rod. Every book in the Bible passed the test of the canon, meaning it has been recognized through time and by origin to be the expressed word of God. Now, there are about 40 different authors of the books of the Bible. It was written over a span of 1,500 years by prophets, kings, doctors, philosophers, fishermen, statesmen, and poets. Quite an assembly. Even though so many different hands wrote the text of this great book, there is in its content a unity of thought from beginning to end, indicating that one mind orchestrated its message. Now, the Old Testament is the history of a nation, Israel, that would bring the Savior into the world. The New Testament is the account of that Savior and His passage to God, and the, or the passage to God through Him. Every book in the New Testament quotes some, some books from the Old Testament. Every prophecy from the Old Testament is fulfilled in the New Testament. There are roughly 300 prophecies concerning Christ alone, let alone the ones about the rest of the world. Just Christ. His lineage, His birth, His life, His death, His resurrection. Every one of those prophecies have been fulfilled except those concerning His second coming. Christ is the central figure of the Bible. Now, there was no panel or committee assembled in Rome or wherever to decide how these books would be canonized. They were, these books were handed down from generation to generation. And they have all been recognized and their authors within a context of history. So it takes faith to believe that these books are the Word of God. There are many books written to help us through our journey here on earth. Some good, some not so good. There are many books that tell us various ways to reach God. 
The Koran is such a book. There's all kinds of books on spiritual enlightenment and books by spiritual whatevers. But there is only one book that talks about God reaching to us. And that book is the Bible. In Jesus' day, this collection of canonized books was called the Holy Scripture. They were the exact same books that we recognize today as the Old Testament. Exactly the same. In 1947, a Bedouin shepherd by the Dead Sea was pitching stones to relieve his boredom, I suppose. And he pitched a stone into a cave and heard the distinct sound of pottery breaking. So he went in and investigated. And it's probably the greatest discovery of modern times. They're called the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, those of us who went to Israel in 2014 went to this very site and saw these caves. There are 11 caves discovered so far. They uh, contain scrolls about social behavior, warfare, interestingly, commentaries on Holy Scripture, many other topics of life, but the greatest find was over 100 manuscripts of the Old Testament as we know it today. Probably the greatest archaeological excuse me, find of all modern times. There are 14 complete copies of Deuteronomy. 12 of Isaiah, 10 of the Psalms, and every prophet, major and minor, Every book of the Bible is there in duplicity except the book of Esther. Nothing against women. There are even books, prophet books, on the same scroll indicating a collection of books like the minor prophets. Four, five, six, seven of them on one scroll. Kind of like this is a collection of books. The books of Moses, the Pentateuch, literally every canonized book is there. And one of the greatest finds is a copy of the book of Daniel that had been translated from the ancient Hebrew to Aramaic, which was the language of Jesus' day. Cool. Many of these scrolls are on display at Jerusalem. Those of us that went there saw them with our own eyes. Impressive, though I couldn't read the words. <laughs> but there is a validation of the authenticity of the Old Testament. The Holy Scriptures. That's what Jesus called them. In John chapter 5, He was butting heads with some Pharisees and He said, Search the Scriptures. Search the Old Testament. For in them you think you have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. And you will not come to me that you may have eternal life. 
So one of the things I wanted to talk about was what does the Bible say about itself? In 2 Timothy 3, verse 15 through 17, Paul writes to his beloved understudy Timothy that from a child you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The word translated inspiration in the Greek is, I'll butcher this, theopnuestos. And it means divinely breathed. It means God breathed or inspired by God. All Scripture. Now, the word Scripture is graphi, which means, translated from the Greek, holy writ, or holy document. It is the same word, graphi, that is translated into the word scripture, or holy scripture, in the entire New Testament. They're only talking about one thing. I said earlier that there's a unity of thought in the Bible from beginning to end. There is a thread that connects the entire Scripture. All Scripture bears the print of the same author using different hands, but the same author, God. I've read lots of books Probably most of you have read more books than me. But there's something I've learned about a great author. Any author can tell a story, write a text, whatever. But a really great author is able to search the heart of the reader and teach and touch on those hidden things those things that the reader wrestles with. A great author gives clarity to the questions that the reader already has in his heart and then answers them. God breathed. The letter to the Hebrews starts out, God, who in many parts and many ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and whom also He made, by whom also He made the worlds, who being the brightness of His glory, the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, God breathed. God spoke in these last days through His Son. He has given clarity to the hidden things of the hearts of men and revealed the path to Himself by His Son. Now, 
I personally believe that God has a lot of faith in the intelligence of man. Really, he made us. He knows what goes on in here. He knew from the beginning that we would unlock the secret of the wheel. Gunpowder. Antibiotics. The internal combustion engine. Nuclear fission. All the stuff that we are so proud of. He knew in advance that we'd figure those things out. How about cell phones and microwaves? I still don't know how they work. But I like them. He looked, though, at the feeble attempts of man in his fallen state and knew that we would never figure out some things. And one of those things we would never figure out is how to reach God. So he wrote a book from ages past, still relevant. I think of the quest of man to reach God. It's been in every civilization, every culture throughout history. People have done some of the weirdest things to reach God. Cutting themselves, sacrificing humans, throwing virgins in volcanoes. You name it. How about rules? Making rules. Let's make a bunch of rules, and if we keep them, we'll find God. It just hasn't worked out that way. So, and God knew this, so He wrote this book. God breathed. God spoke to us in these last days. He's been speaking all along. It is so cool that from Genesis 3, where God says, Adam, where aren't you? to when Jesus walked the earth and He said, Come unto Me, to the last chapter of the Bible where the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Every whosoever will, come and drink freely of the water of life. Come and have a relationship with the eternal God. That is the message from cover to cover of this book. We have this record available to us 24-7. I wonder how often we reference it in our lives. Did you know that before the invention of the printing press, the Bible was only possessed by very wealthy and very powerful individuals? From the 10th century to the 15th century, the popes made a decree that only the church in Rome could own, read, and interpret the Bible. And whatever they said was passed down to us, the normal people. History calls that time period the Dark Ages. The Crusades, the purchase of uh, indulgence, the inquisitions, and every manner of evil took place during that time in the name of Christianity, but having nothing to do with the teachings of Christ. Because people weren't able to look it up for themselves and say, hey, what's this turn the other cheek thing? 
It's shameful what the heart of man, even the most religious men, can conceive. The, the church used, was used as a source of revenue for those people in charge rather than being an ambassador to God to a lost and broken world. The church still has a black eye over this period of time. Just about every argument against Christianity, these things are brought up. Well, what about the crusade? What about the inquisitions? What about all those rotten things that the church did? Well, they were not what God says, what Christ taught in His Word. And then along came a guy named Martin Luther. It was funny, in the, when we were in the church of the Holy Sepulchre, uh, we had to wait till the Greek Orthodox and the Catholics could do their set time little ritual. And these guys were all dressed up in these fancy robes and incense and bells and blah, 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 blah. And I looked at the expression on their face and they were no more into that than they, could do. they were just doing their religious duty. Steve, Steve Morehouse whispered to me, I was standing next to him, he said, thank you, Martin Luther. I said, amen. Long came Martin Luther, who was an exemplary monk. He practiced every creed of the popes, fasting, scourging. In his own words, he says, I endured anguish as no pen can describe. He sounds pretty religious. One day, reading Romans, he had an epiphany. The just shall live by faith. You mean, all that stuff I've been doing doesn't matter? Nope. If you want to live, if you want to be justified, you do it by faith. History records him nailing his thesis to the church door, explaining the epiphany that he had, and condemning the things that the church had been doing for the last 500 years. It brought about a change that we call the Reformation. And really what he did was he changed us back to what Christ intended us to be from the beginning. To have access to this word and to read it for ourselves. Uh, mis most historians look at the Reformation as a time when mankind woke up from a sleepy period. The truth is, it, this is when God's Word was made available to people. That was the Reformation. All of the scientific and all of the prosperity and social change that went about came about because people started reading and practicing what this book says. You want to know why the United States is the most prosperous nation in the history of the world? We are founded on biblical principles. Our Constitution guarantees us the right to worship and to read this book and practice our faith. 
George Washington wrote, it is impossible to rightly govern a world without God and the Bible. Do we wonder what's going to happen when those who are trying to rub God and the Bible out of our society finally have their way? The Dark Ages is a pretty good example. Horace Greeley. Anybody know who Horace Greeley was? I do. He was an editor, an author, and a congressman during the Civil War. He writes this, It is impossible to enslave, mentally or socially, a Bible-reading people. The principles of the Bible are the groundwork of human freedom. That's powerful. You know, I was a Gideon for a while. And when you get ordained, you don't get to be a Gideon anymore. You're disqualified. But in the front of every Gideon Bible that we passed out, there is this little quotation. The Bible contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy. Its precepts are binding. Its histories are true, and its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise. Believe it to be safe. Practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's charter. Here, paradise is restored. Heaven opened, and the gates of hell disclosed. Wow! In this little book, that is amazing. Now back to our text. God breathed all Scripture. And it says in verse 16 that it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction. That's what the King James words used. Let me put this in carpenter terms. Doctrine is what's right. Reproof is what's not right. Correction is how to get right. And instruction is how to stay right. Why? That the man of God may be perfect. That does not mean sinless perfection. I'll be the first one to tell you, I am not there. The word is artios in Greek. It doesn't mean perfect. It means complete, fully developed, mature. The Lord doesn't need a bunch of perfect specimens on earth to say, look what I did. He's not looking for that at all. What He's looking for is fruitful workers. And He makes them over a lifetime. How? Because we know God. We have experienced Him. We have written 
or read what he has written to us. And he has revealed himself to us through this word. Now I want to give a personal application. I didn't know all this stuff all my life. I met Jesus when I was eight, year old, eight years old at a Bible camp near Woodland Park, Colorado. Most of my generation of Wilkinsons met Jesus there at that camp thanks to the faithfulness of my grandparents, my dad's folks. They sent every one of us. I was baptized when I was 14. And I was awarded by those same grandparents this Bible. It's one of the first expensive things I ever owned. My granddad said, you can have any Bible that's here. You pick. And I picked this one. Kind of beat up. <laughs> it has been my friend and companion for all these years. I've read its pages over and over. Especially during the tough times in my life. This book has never failed to bring encouragement, direction, and hope into my situation. No matter what it was. Feast or famine. I've taken this Bible on every mission trip I've ever gone on in my life. When we were going to go to Israel, my wife said, which Bible are you going to take? No question there. My old friend. I have to hold on to it so that it doesn't turn into two Bibles. It's not split between the Old and New Testament either. <laughs> but I have to confess to you that there have been times when this Bible sat on the shelf. And then I got to experience my own dark ages. Like the historical account of the world, there is a historical account of Jeff Wilkinson. And uh, those dark ages are usually accompanied by a decline in personal prosperity, a decline in relationships, a decline in everything sweet in life. You know, most of the wounds that I've ever had have been self-inflicted. Am I the only one? <laughs> During one of the lowest points of my life, it seemed that every person, place, and thing was working against me. And bless their hearts, there were Christians that reached out to me and tried to help. But I, looking back, believe it was the Lord that kept me insulated from them. So it would just be Him and me and this letter that He wrote to me. I ate this thing up. Old Testament, New Testament, I read it over and over and over. And it became alive to me. Psalm 91 says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. It was true. 
One Scripture that I wound up reading over and over. is Psalm 37. Fret not yourself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good, so shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart, Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret yourself, do not fret yourself in any way to do evil. I read this passage, I read it and read it and read it, and you know what? My circumstances didn't seem to change at all. Very little. But I changed. I changed. I began to look beyond myself and see a bigger picture. One where I was just a tiny detail on a huge canvas. God's masterpiece. The history of the world. And I'm just a little dot on this. His masterpiece, the church. The beautifully adorned bride of Christ. And her place in eternity. My place in this masterpiece Paul wrote to the Corinthians and this is another one that I read over and over the eye has not seen nor the ear heard neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those that love him wow another one I read over and over many are the afflictions of the righteous but the Lord delivers him out of them all. This old book, Companion, has taught me these things and myriads more. I know its author. He is eternal. And he is fit for every circumstance. His word is eternal and fit for every situation my life could encounter. And I can say that one of the passages that is so sweet to me is also in Psalm 37. It says, I have been young and now am I old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you not only give these promises, but you cause them to come to pass. Through the Bible. God's Word. True. Relevant. 
eternal. Yesterday I went to uh, the track meet at Mountaineer Bowl. There was a lot of people up there, nasty as the weather was. Every shape, size, and color, fast ones and slow ones too. And I had this thought while I was standing out there in the infield watching people milling around everywhere. I said, you know, every one of these people is in a different set of circumstances. Unique to them. They're the only one in the whole universe with their circumstances. There isn't a one of them whose circumstances couldn't be better if they read God's Word. Not a one. And what about us? Everyone under the sound of my voice is in a different set of circumstances. Unique to you. You're the only one. Is your life so fulfilled that it couldn't get any better? Maybe if that's you, you want to read this book so you can avoid messing it up. Or, is your life a bundle of unanswered and perplexing questions right now? You may want to study God's Word and find out that there is hope and strength for you today. Most of all, have you ever read a book written by someone that you know very well? You know the author. Went to school with them, grew up with them, whatever, but you know them. You can see their intent and hear their voice in every word you read. It's awesome. Such is the case with a Christian reading God's Word. I know the author. I have heard his voice. We have been through some tough stuff together. And he has been faithful to keep His Word. And that is why I read the Bible. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for this precious gift. Pray that You would open it up to each one of us in new and powerful ways as we look through it. Pray that You would Arrange our lives to be better servants, better students, and better sons and daughters through your word in Jesus' name. Our last hymn, Come Thou Almighty King.